Please be seated, family. Open up your Bibles uh, to the book of Acts. As you guys know, we are in the book of Acts. Uh, Pastor Leon is passing out Bibles. If you need them, guys, go ahead and grab those. I want to encourage you to do that. I'm going to jump right in. A lot of, lot of, lot of text, a lot of uh, good stuff that Jesus is wanting to share with us. And so I want to be available uh, to hook that up. Hey, guys, a couple of ground rules we'd like to share. Uh, if you are, if you're having questions, uh, go ahead and um, let us know if it can encourage the whole body. Um, also, I just want you to know that we go through books of the Bible intentionally here because we want to really get the whole counsel of God's word. That's our heart and, uh, and see what the Lord has to say to us. We're in a book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts for over a year now. We're in Acts 19. Um, and a lot of good stuff has been going on. Uh, we've seen God uh, basically reveal himself as a, as a king by rising from the dead. Uh, we see him provide the mission to the people of God, uh, empower them to do the mission. That is to make the world uh, worshipers of Christ, basically, is what all of our missions are, right? When you think of your life in Jesus, basically, you exist uh, not to go to work. I mean, even though theology of work is very prominent for us as Christians, uh, but you exist even when you're at work uh, to make much of Christ, um, and how you do your work that a Christian, uh, you know, does a good job with, with, with water boilers different than the unbeliever. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the teacher uh, teaches just like the unbeliever, but uh, we teach for different reasons. And so everything we do is to point toward Christ, uh, guys. And, and so um, these guys go out. They begin to basically turn the world upside down. We see people who are persecuting church, killing Christians, become Christians, specifically Saul, who becomes Paul. Uh, and this guy is going around now sharing his faith with everybody, training up the church, building uh, believers up in the Lord. Uh, and now we're here in Acts chapter 19. Um, last week we were talking about the sense of transition. And actually what we're going to see in 19 is we're going to see kind of the end of that transition piece. And then we're going to enter into a very interesting story um, dealing with uh, some actually demonic possession. Uh, but in this, I'm hoping that the Lord will do a lot in our hearts to see uh, the evidence of his grace. Let me just jump right in, guys, okay? Uh, we have Paul, who, um, who actually is basically probably the most prominent theologian uh, in all of history. It says in the scriptures of, chapter, of, of verse 1 of chapter 19, uh, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, if you open up your Bible, I hope you're, you're all there. I hope I didn't go too fast for you. It's up here if you need it too. We have a lot of info. Uh, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. So we were talking last week. Uh, here's Paul going around, and he's finding individuals. Uh, and he's basically um, here, right, right here, he goes, to, he's in Ephesus, and he comes to some guys, and he's preaching the gospel, and he comes to these guys, and it says in verse 2, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so he's preaching the gospel, and for some reason they get into this conversation, and he, he asks them a question about the Holy Spirit, um, which is an interesting question, okay? Um, I'll propose to you uh, that this question deems the fact that he wasn't trying to just correct their theology, but he was talking about belief. He was talking about basically if you have not received the Holy Spirit, then you're not a believer. And I keep trying to just to drill that in us for a couple of reasons. First, if anybody ever tells you uh, that you need the second helping of the Spirit or you're doing really good, but you're really, really not a Christian yet. Uh, what they're really saying is that, or you need more Holy Spirit, they're really saying uh, that you're not a Christian because the Spirit of God lives in you if you're a Christian and the Spirit of God does not live in you if you're not a Christian. It's really that simple. Now, 
You can have the Holy Spirit in you and not be yielding to the Spirit. That means you're not being Spirit-filled, okay? So you can, that, that could be the case. But as far as you not having the Holy Spirit, that is left to the unbeliever. Uh, it says in Romans 8, chapter 9, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 9 and 10, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, okay? Uh, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So just to be very clear that people who say they are believers, believers have the Holy Spirit, okay? So he asked this question, do you have the Holy Spirit? And then uh, their response is, and they said, no, we have not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit, right? So they're like, Holy Spirit, like, we don't know about the Holy Spirit. We didn't even hear about the Holy Spirit. Well, we know when, he, when they say this, I, I would say, uh, I, I was studying this, I'm thinking, man, I was talking to a good friend of mine, uh, JD, and we're like, so they had never heard about the Holy Spirit? Right. So I don't think that that's the case. And so I went back, uh, J.D., and I actually just translated it to see, like, what was the what was the, the literal way they said this? And it actually says, no, we have not even heard that there. Uh, it says, I'm sorry. It says we did not so much as hear whether the Holy Spirit was. And I think that's a different kind of translation. And what I mean by that is I think they're saying we 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 we, we heard of the Holy Spirit, but we didn't know that he had come. The reason why I would say that, guys, is because all throughout the Old Testament, there are tons of verses that talk about the Holy Spirit. Okay? And we know um, that these guys in verse 3 were part of John's baptism, who was very astute Old Testament theologian. Okay? So it's pretty safe to say that these guys had heard of the Holy Spirit, but they did not know the consummation that you and I know. They did not know that what had happened and that the Holy Spirit was now coming upon people and all these kind of things. Okay? They still had John's baptism. And you can, uh, there's a ton of verses, but even like Nehemiah uh, verses uh, 20 in chapter 9, it says, Lord, you gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. That's just one example of God being like just talking about the Holy Spirit in very platonic, chill ways all throughout uh, the Old Testament. Elijah? Uh, so, are you saying that every person receives the Holy Spirit when they first accept Christ? Yes, I'm saying that a person to be born again to become a Christian, you need to have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the scriptures say, is a deposit of the faith that we have in Christ. So basically, the Holy Spirit actually makes us alive in Christ, right? And that's what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 3, right? Nicodemus comes up. He's a prominent Jew. He's a Pharisee. And Jesus says, no, you need to be born of the water and of the Spirit. Is that a person is not born again if they're not born of the Spirit. So you, can't, you cannot be a Christian if God hasn't done something ontologically, if he hasn't done something in who you are, if he hasn't remade you. What Jesus actually does is when you become a Christian, when you say, I believe that Jesus is my king and I'm not king anymore, something happens supernaturally where you were dead and the scriptures say that Jesus literally makes you alive again. And that only happens not because you had faith, but because God gave gave you faith and he gives you the Holy Spirit to make you alive. So, so short answer. Yes. You have to have the Holy Spirit. You, you have the Holy Spirit is what is who saves us. So the Holy Spirit actually comes into our life, makes us his child and then makes us more like Christ and then takes us with Christ. And then Christ presents us to the father. That's basically the trajectory that we're on. Mm-hmm. And so people will tell you, Hey, cool. I don't want to get into it, but basically, if someone, if anyone's questioning you having the Holy Spirit because of something you did or did not do, 
uh, or you getting more, I'm proposing to you, make it really clear that if you're talking about spirit fieldness, we can have a discussion. If you're talking about Holy Spirit residence, I have his residence because I'm a Christian by faith. Is that helpful? Just to make it, which is freeing, right? That you don't have to jump through hoops to receive Jesus. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you by grace through faith. Right? Praise the Lord for that. Um, so these cats, Maggie. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's an example. So then again, I would point them to, uh, you know, some people say you never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I would point them to uh, what we just read in Romans 8. Well, wow, it's interesting that Paul makes it really clear here that those who have the Spirit of Christ are sons of God and those who do not are not. And also in, in, in 1 Corinthians, I believe, uh, is it, uh, in chapter 1, uh, he talks about uh, the baptism not being part of the gospel. He says, I, didn't, I came, but I did not come to baptize. I came to preach the gospel. Why does he do that? Why does he bifurcate the two if baptism is that important? He's saying baptism doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. So this is what I came to do, preach the gospel, gospel saves. So if anyone tells you there's something that you have to do in order to validate that you have the Holy Spirit, I'm going to propose to you, or if they're saying, hey, I I see you you believe in Christ, you want to walk with the Lord, but you need this thing first, I'm proposing that they're teaching you a false gospel. They're they're in error in some way and graciously help them see that Jesus gives the Spirit liberally as he wills by grace through faith. Wow, are we going? As long as y'all are ready to stay here to one thirty, I'm cool. We have First Corinthians chapter twelve. Yep. So where Paul makes it really clear, and actually he allows tongues in that passage to be the minimal, the, the least of all the gifts. So Paul says, first of all, the Holy Spirit's not giving you all the gifts. He gives them to him severally as he wills. And then guess what? The one you're all going crazy about, that's like number eight on the totem pole of what Jesus wants to give you. You know what I'm saying? So, so even practically, it's, it's, a flawed, it's a flawed thinking. Now, I'm not trying to minimize the supernatural reality that God puts us in when we become Christians. And also, I think there is something about the wonders of God and him wanting to do supernatural things in our life. And I'm not a sensationist where I believe these things do not exist. I believe these things still exist. What I'm being very clear about is they are not a requirement for salvation okay so um so they so he says i love they say in verse three and he said into what then were you baptized they said into john's baptism right and so this concept again baptizo immersion he's talking about christianity so wait what what are you about john's baptism john's a good dude i'm trying to show us something here that that's that's how serious the gospel is is that you have these people who were part of john's crew and paul is graciously coming up to these cats and saying it's cool you hung out with john that shows you guys grace that god knows you hung out with john he knows you has good you have good theology but you're missing something missing the culmination of everything and that is the cross and resurrection that actually happened receive the good news right and so these people get saved in verse 4, it says, and Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, right? John was talking about you need to repent. You need to understand you're a sinner and you need God's grace. And he was telling you about this person this, who's, who he was preparing a way from, uh, for and who was going to come and provide this forgiveness for you. But now what, what Paul is doing, he's saying, and his name is Jesus, right? Uh, and so it says, uh, telling, telling the people to believe in the one, verse 4, who was to come after him, that is Jesus, so, so he taught them about Jesus. I love that. 
So he tells these really these people who are in learning about like basically have the uh, the good news up to that point. He tells them about Christ. And it says in verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, right? And so again, we talked about this a while ago, uh, what's going on here? Why, Why are these guys speaking in tongues and prophesying? Because again, he's continually validating in this book. And I want to really stress to you again, in this book, he's validating a transition that things are happening now that probably aren't going to always happen, but he needs to validate that people who receive Jesus Christ, they are filled with the spirit. And so he's letting these, these, this group of John baptism people realize that, yeah, these guys got the spirit too, just like everybody else did because people who are become Christians receive the Holy spirit. What's interesting is I believe this is the last time in the new Testament where someone receives the spirit like this, Right. Uh, which is uh, just just practically is is interesting if we start making this a doctrine. Okay, um, this is the last time. But I'm proposing it's very important what he's doing here. But it's because he's trying to make a point about what God is doing in history as He's making a new humanity. And the new humanity are those who are saying Jesus is king and I want to know and experience his love. That's, those are the new humans, those who are filled with the Holy Spirit and experience his new life. And people would, back in the day needed validation. Well, how do you know who's, who's those people? And he says, well, it's these crazy new people, those people who, who claim and love Jesus and walk with Jesus. And look what they do. The Jews, the Gentiles, the Samaritans, John Baptism, all these different groups of people, they're all receiving the spirit in the same way. So we all know they're under one unity and that is Christ. Um, so it is, I think this is a very key point, uh, in a transition of what God is doing. And he was very, very gracious. And as it were to basically extend Pentecost to these individuals, right? That's what he's doing. I'm rolling fast because we got a lot of theology going on and it's it's about to get crazy. It's about to get real up in here. So y'all be gracious to me. I'll be gracious to you and we'll be all right. Y'all ready? All right. So, um, what, what I do love about this is, again, uh, think about, you know, as we, as we see things in the scriptures, you see him learn and then ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, like, what are you teaching me as I learn about what you're teaching these individuals in the first century? And then also, how do you want to allow me to, to express this as I live the gospel in my community? Because one of the things that really encouraged me here is when you see people as religious and kind and awesome as people of the John's baptism still needing Jesus, that speaks to me as I do ministry, Right. That it's, it's not enough to be kind. It's not enough to just have good theology. But people have to be born again. Verse 7. All right. So, so basically trend, that, that, that kind of transition where we're seeing all these different individuals from different sects and frameworks coming to Christ. Now we get here in verse 7. It says, there are about 12 men in all. Uh, and he entered the synagogue for about three months, spoke boldly, uh, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So he's out preaching. He's speaking boldly. He does this for a while. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way. Oh, I wish I had my little pointer now because they got me a little point. I could point at some words. Um, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them. And took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. A um, couple things real quick, guys. 
As you, as you got your Bibles open, uh, key things, I love this concept, this whole sense of became stubborn. I would circle that. Became stubborn and continued in unbelief. Oh, thanks, bro. It's on now. Y'all ready? Um, so I, I would circle that uh, because w- this is, like, is kind of just a sense of, uh, of being hardened. Uh, and it's a sense of, it's called a, um, a imperfect tense. Basically, it's that sense of a person being hardened and hardening always being a process, which is very important as each one of us sit in this room. And as you think of the epistles and the, and the cries out that you see in the scriptures, basically uh, trying to continually keep our hearts soft in Christ because hardening is a process. What I mean by that, people normally, you know, my friend, I just told you about my friend who wants to sadly in his relationship with his wife, right? Here's a guy who, who came up and at first she was like, I'm going to protect her and serve her and live sacrificially and do Ephesians five, where I love her like Christ loved the church, right? Well, what happens after 11, 12 years, slowly, but surely things happen where someone does something that really hurts you, right? This is your journey, a friend or a spouse, and they, they hit at the very insecurities that are in your life, right? For a man, one of the biggest insecurities that we all have as men is when you as a lady really expose our lack of leadership, right? When you expose that what God said would happen, right? In Genesis 3 is actually happening. And that is us out of fear putting you in a headlock because we're scared to lead sacrificially. And then you say, look, you're not a good leader. And we go, oh my goodness, I'm found out. So you expose that and then we get sad and upset, right? And then we don't forgive. And so you get in a fight and somebody says something about your leadership and they speak to your insecurities. And, 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 and then later you say, okay, I forgive you, but you really don't forgive them. And it's just one notch in there. And that happens week in and week out. And all of a sudden you start seeing yourself harden. Your heart hardens, right? Well, let's take it another way. You're walking with the Lord and, and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be great. And all of a sudden something happens really tragic in your life where you're thinking, but I'm trying to give my life to Jesus. Why is this happening? And you had these weird, ungodly, narcissistic expectations on Christ and your life isn't working out the way you thought it would. And so at first you go, oh man, that, that's messed up. And you, 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 you put the notch in your belt, okay, but I want to still see Jesus. I want to still walk with the Lord. And then something else happens in your life. And you're like this too? But I've given my life to Christ. I'm trying to pursue him. Why is he giving me this? Why isn't he allowing this to happen in my life? And all of a sudden, slowly but surely, you start getting upset with the Lord. Your heart starts hardening. Is that someone in this room? Is that some of us right now? Is your heart starting to harden? Right? This isn't passive. This is, these are, this is a process where all of a sudden you become a different person. Is this anybody? Harden is a process. Gradual, a gradual rejection of Jesus all of a sudden becomes an intense rejection of Jesus. Because look, now they became stubborn. They continued unbelief. And look, it brought about action, speaking evil of the way. So two things there. First of all, so now it's like, I don't just like not like Jesus. I don't just want to say, well, it's not for me, but I want to dog Christianity. See, that's what happens with a hard heart. You move from defense to offense. Right. When your heart's hard, you say, I want, I want to go after that thing. But you notice something. Notice why they're going after them. They're called the way. You notice that? The way, that's what they call Christians then. You know why? I love this. I want, I, want, I want to have this reputation. Why? Because people, when they talked about Jesus, these individuals, they always talked about them being the one way. 
See, they went into a pluralistic, superstitious culture, sounds like ours, and they said, no, 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 I know there's all these other things, but there's one way to Jesus. There's one way to a relationship with God. You, you think that made them very popular? You think people like that? So this name, although honor, was actually like kind of sticking it to them. Those, those arrogant people who talk about there's one way. Right? So they spoke evil of the way before the congregation. Uh, he, and so Paul's sitting there going, man, well, I can't really preach the gospel here. They're dogging us. They're speaking evil of us. So I'm going to take my gospel, y'all tripping, and go somewhere else because he was preaching in the synagogue and the same thing happened like it happens every other time. And then he left and went somewhere where he felt like he can preach the gospel. And so it says in verse 10, this continued for two years where he preached. So he's preaching the good news of Jesus. He's telling people that actually your life is meaningless without Jesus. Like, like, like my man, uh, Jake said, Jake said, hey, man, I, I try to do it my way. And man, life is just jacked up. And without Christ, what, what is life? And so this is the gospel he's preaching that Jesus is the only way. So that all residents of Asia... Verse 10, heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. I love that. Love that beautiful testimony that the author wanted you to hear that, man, the gospel was just being, it was just saturating that community, saturating the area where it talks about all the residents of Asia. Right? We're hearing the good news. And so we know this to be the case because in history, when you look at the book of Revelations, a couple of those churches was founded during this time. So you got churches being founded, the gospel going forth, things are awesome, things are happening. And look what's happening here. You know, God, when he wants to do something, when he's infiltrating stuff, you know, what we see in the, in, in the beginning stages of the first century is he always likes to, to, to validate those things through signs and wonders. So look at verse 11. And it says in the scriptures, and God was doing ext- extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. All right, guys. And it says, so that in verse 12, even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the spirits, uh, the evil spirits came out of them. A couple of things, first and foremost, now you see where you get the whole handkerchief thing on the screen from, you know, on TV, this is where it comes from. All right. This is where people, they saw this verse and they said, let me get some handkerchiefs and, and I'm going to propose, let me scam people and tell them you touch my handkerchief, you're going to be off the chain, you know? So, um, so here's where it comes from. But would you notice something? So God is doing these miracles by the hands of Paul and notice this is just more of this for your own information as you're studying scriptures. Notice how the, the, the author wants you to see, uh, that, that there were diseases left them and then evil spirits came out of them. Okay. And that sometimes evil, sometimes diseases are because of evil spirits, but sometimes God heals you of evil spirits. And then sometimes he heals you of diseases and that they're not always going to be correlating, but sometimes they are. But more importantly, I want to go to, um, what's going, what's happening here in, uh, the scriptures. Uh, let me, let me try and set the stage here. We're going to, we're, we're, about, we're talking about, um, exorcisms, we're talking about supernatural things, uh, and then it culminates in verse 13 when he says, and then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord, Jesus, over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. I'm going to pause right there. Okay? So let me just paint the picture. So Paul comes on the scene. God is with him. The Holy Spirit is working through him. He's seeing supernatural things happen. He's, people are being healed. People are touching things. People are experiencing great, great healing. Powerful things are happening. Then you get individuals who see this, right? Uh, because it's a very superstitious, okay, in the first century, Ephesus and far be it, the whole known world had a great superstition. 
And no one in here should be kind of surprised because if I was to see you when you watching the football game, I bet you you got a little superstition too. I mean, think about it. Think about it. So you got the commercials, right? You got the commercial where uh, the one dude, he tells him like, hey, man, they just scored when you was in the basement. So go back in the basement. And, and then something good happens again. And make them, they make the dude stay in the basement the whole game because they want him. They, they think, right? That's, now think about that, though. So these billion-dollar companies are thinking about how can I appeal to the masses with something that's so cultural that everybody gets? Because they're not going to make a commercial that only 15 people get, right? Because that's not productive. They're going to make the commercial to figure out how do I do something where people go, oh, you, you're right, man, that's true. They made a culture. They made, they made, a, 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 they made a commercial series. It's not just one. There's a series of commercials, am I right, homies, of superstition. A series of them. You know why these billion-dollar companies spent millions upon millions of dollars doing that? Because we are a superstitious culture, right? Because if we're really honest, we think like that. And we actually think we'll do something by mistake and think, wait, when I stepped to the right and to the left twice, he caught the pass. Okay. <laughs> and then we try and do it without people seeing it so you don't look stupid, right? What's up, man? Right. That, that's how we are. Well, this is the same culture, right? Superstition, people trying to work their magic, scam artists, all that stuff, right? And so right here, you got these, you got Paul actually validating that this is, his stuff is actually real. But you got the haters, you got people who want to scam and who want to say, oh, wow, his stuff is actually working. Well, let me, let me become a part of that too. Notice what it says here in the scriptures. It says that there are itinerant Jewish exorcists. Do you know why the author says it like that? Because he wants you to understand that, that this was normal. See, exorcisms, as it were, were normal, okay, in this culture. Why? Because spirituality and, and supernatural dealings are normal. All right, so now I need to, um, I'm going to pause right there. I just want to make my point that superstition is a known thing. It wasn't a surprise. Exorcism wasn't a surprise. So now I want to talk about demonology. Okay. Demonology. I'm going to talk about the theology of demons for a moment because to make my point, we got to do some research in the scriptures. Okay. And if you can get, get ready, get in your Bible. Um, I want to, I want you to turn to Matthew and I uh, will go there for a little bit. I won't go there right now because I just want to bring up a couple points. Now this is going to be a little academic, but stick with me here guys. Cause I'm trying to make a point here. Okay. So right now we see these itinerant Jewish exorcists going to exercise a demon. All right. And they do it by saying in the name of Jesus that that dude proclaims come out because he seemed like he got some power. This is exciting. Let's get this thing out. Okay. So what's going on in that passage? Well, let me, let me, let me first start by making a few things clear. So we're all on the same page. First, when you're talking about angelology, you got to talk about just angel understanding. That, that means the study of angels. You got to talk about it in light of the gospel. The first thing we need to understand angels are, are, are beings that are created by the triune God. Okay? So, angels are supernatural beings that God created. God is not an angel. There's no angels that are God. There's one God, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that has never been created. Okay? Satan and demons are real. Okay? Do not, for any moment... 
If you're a believer, I I pray you believe that. If you're an unbeliever, I want to awaken you to the fact there is a spiritual realm and there are Satan is an evil angel who's kind of like the the secretary of all the other angels and demons are evil angels that have fallen because they tried to disobey God and they are real and they are here to it's really not even about you, to be honest. It's not about you and me. The demons and Satan hate God. Okay? They hate God. God loves you. So the best way to get to God is to hurt you. Because the demons understand they can't hurt God. All right? So please don't get arrogant and thinking the demon just wants you. All right? They really want to get at God. Because they're mad. Because whenever the Satan sees God, he sees what he wants to be. Right. It's the whole point here. And that's why even in Revelation, everything is mimicked, right? You have the Trinity and you have the evil Trinity. Why? Because Satan wants to be like God. He always falls short, but he wants to be like God. Not to freak anybody out. But the beauty of the supernatural realm is this. If, if God was not protecting you and me right now, angels would probably destroy God's people. What, what I'm, what I, how do I say it in a nice way? Supernatural beings will probably kill all of us right now. The reason why we are alive is because what Jesus did on the cross. I'll talk about that in a moment. But the reason why people are alive all throughout history is because Jesus, by God's grace, protects his people. Because you in your flesh is no match for an angel. Does that make sense? Now, Demons are evil angels, and this is very important. They're finite beings. I know I'm going through a little academic, but I want us to all be on the same page here. As you leave, understanding what's going on in the realm that you cannot see. So there's demon and angels all around, okay, right now. And they're finite beings. That's very important, right? Therefore, they can never be compared, right? They can never, you can never compare a demon and Jesus. So, so what happens is uh, we can either think J- Satan is like a, a dude with a red jumpsuit and a pitchfork and two horns, which is silly, right? Or we can think he's like God, which is silly. Satan is not like God. He's nowhere near God. Satan is one angel who failed just like many other angels and all of them God created. Which means he does not have the incommunicable attributes that God has. Okay, right? He has the communicable ones because we have those too. He does not have the incommunicable attributes. He's not omnipresent. Satan is not everywhere. Satan does not know everything. Okay? Satan is not all powerful. Okay? Because he is another angel. Now, so the, the, the mindset that you, when you watch these movies and you see good and evil battling and kind of like, uh, okay, well, uh, well kind of, but not when you're battling with God. Look at scripture. Notice what happens when Jesus ever encounters any supernatural realm. What happens? He has total authority immediately. You never see Jesus going, uh, no. What you see is you see, you see demons going, oh my goodness, that's Jesus. Jesus, wait, 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 wait. I, I was surprised. I know you was coming on Tuesday. Can you wait before you kill us? That's what you see. Am I right? That's what you see in scripture. You see, you see demons being scared because they understand that the created one is on a scene. Okay? That's very important because you get many Christians defeated because they have a wrong understanding of the power of Satan. 
All right, so Jesus is not battling. He's just like, okay, okay, shut up. I don't want nobody knowing I'm Jesus yet, so be quiet. Now, go jump off the cliff, right? That's, that's how cool Jesus is, okay? So, this is very important. That's his power, Jesus' power. Satan, don't miss this because this is where our culture kind of misses it. Satan was defeated at the cross. Now, that's a hard one for everybody. Because you're going, well, why are people still murdering people? Why all this evil? That's another sermon. I can't go there now because of time. But we do have a theology behind that. <laughs> it's, it's called eschatology. <laughs> What's happening right now? But guys, the most important event in history, you hear me say this 80 times as your pastor, the most important, important historical event is not what's going to happen, but it's what happened at the cross. Don't ever forget that. At the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, what he did, the Bible says is he made a spectacle of his enemies. He totally exposed them, the Bible says. He, he, he showed them for what they, were, what, they, what they truly are, and that's not powerful people. And said, guess what? On the cross, I died, and that, that, that lamb that was slain is the lion of Judah. And I'm actually all powerful. And then he rose from the dead, and then he bound all those evil beings. Now, we can't go into specifics, but can you agree with me? Think about it. Think about your theology. Man, what, it, what does it mean if, say, if, if, if all these things are still running around crazy and he died on the cross? What is your victory? Your victory isn't going to come. It actually has come now. And I want to propose to you part of what life is, is in the midst of trial and tribulation, you having faith, holla, to know that God is still on the throne even when the world thinks he's not. I want to tell you, that's the, that's the crux of Christian faith. Okay? So Satan is a defeated foe. Now, the only being that has authority over angels is the triune God. Okay? Now, I'm going somewhere with this. You, you still with me, guys? You got to stay with me now, okay? Because this is very important. The only powerful being is Jesus over Satan. Now, here's what we got to do. What are the common theological flaws when we talk about angelology? Um, I want to have us look at Matthew chapter 12. Man. Um, turn there real quick, guys. With me. Um, all right, so it says in verse 15, and what I'm trying to show you is, is, is what's happening in the spiritual realm because it's going to help us understand what's happening in this passage, okay? It says in verse 15 of, of chapter 12, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he, beheld, uh, them, he, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Um, Okay, so it's talking about Jesus doing all these healings and things of this sort. And then you go down to verse 22. It says, then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. So here's an example where Jesus actually heals a guy of demonic oppression and actually some external things happen, right? Um, and all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Don't miss this. Y'all still with me? That this man cast out demons, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is a divide, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And keep, keep passage here. Verse 27. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Okay, keep that in your mind. We're going to go down a couple of verses. Verse 29. 
Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man? Uh, Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Okay? Um, Now, what am I saying here? Notice in verse 27 what he says here. We read that passage, okay? And we read passages like when he says in the scriptures, hey, uh, I came to you, Jesus. Let me see if I can find this passage real quick for us. And he says, hey, I healed in your name. I I prophesied in your name. And he says, uh, uh, you know, your works works were of iniquity. Uh, Depart from me. I never knew you. You familiar with that passage? Okay. And we look at that passage and we think, well, wow, what's happening there? You got these people who are prophesying in Jesus' name. They're healing in Jesus' name. And then Jesus says, I've never knew you. And we don't pause and think, what is he saying there? A couple of things he's saying. First, he's making a rhetorical statement here. His point is, I cast out demons because I cast them out by a real living God. And he says, if I'm casting them out by a real living God... And you guys have been casting out demons too because historically this was happening all the time because no one was was surprised about this whole demonology speech. So this was happening, but his question is, so who do you cast them out by? You know what his point is there? His point is that you have been either scamming people and not casting out demons or you have been casting out demons by an evil power, demonic power. You see that? This is not saying that a person actually stands before God one day and says, hey, Jesus, I was casting out demons in your name, in your power. I was healing in your name, in your power. And then Jesus says, but I never knew you. You see how that doesn't really make theological sense? Jesus' point in that passage is that person, he says, I never knew you. Your works is of iniquity. Depart from me. The reason why he uses those three statements, because he's talking to unbelievers who might have been doing supernatural things, but it has not been in the power of Christ. You follow me? Does that make sense? Now, why is that important? Because Jesus was trying to make a really drastic point here to these guys. He's saying that all this demonic oppression that you guys are seeing and all these exorcisms and you got these Jewish itinerant exorcists and these professional exorcist people and they're walking around going, look how spiritual we are and we're casting out this demon and we're casting out that demon and then you're seeing things happen. He's saying, don't get amazed. Because just because you've seen a demon cast out does not mean it's from God. You got that? It's either it could be a scam or it can actually be Satan kind of doing his thing. Now you would go well, right there. He says, hey, well, Jesus says, well, why would Beelzebub cast out Beelzebub? Jesus is saying that it's not practical. It doesn't make sense for a demon to cast out a demon. But look what he says in that passage. He says, because that's how you, can, you end your kingdom. And I want to propose to you that Jesus is saying Satan's kingdom is going to be ending. Be ending. His point is that Satan's not smart. His point is that Satan will use even those kind of things, those evil opportunities to say, well, if I can keep a person in error, what I will do is I will make it look like they have power and I will have them do this exorcism thing. And people think, oh, that's so cool. And get their eye off Christ. This is, this is a lot. But I want to kind of shake us into thinking about accurately when we think of the spiritual realm and what God is doing. And so in these passages here, this is Jesus actually exposing people in their spirituality. So here's my point. 
Exorcisms basically means to expel demons by using sacred names, right? So these guys would use superstition and all this stuff, and they would expel demons. And I'm proposing that it wasn't abnormal in Scripture. We just looked at the text here. You look at the text in Acts 19. I also want to say when he talks about the clean house and binding a strong man, I want to propose just a little side note, that a Christian cannot be possessed by a demon. Why? Because the Holy Spirit resides in that person. And the Holy Spirit is there that he is a strong man. And Satan can't bind him. But Satan actually was bound by the strong man when he took residence in your life. That's the whole point. That makes sense? I know this is a lot. So I know I'm giving you a lot. But I got to keep rolling because I want to be faithful. Um, so what my point is, the main tool actually is not demon possession for the believer. The main tool for demons in your life is lies. Is that the main thing that we have seen practically and that I see theologically that Sarah and everybody else, if you're a Christian leader, you have seen, if you're honest, is that people are held captive, not because there's a demon in your closet making you scared at night, but it's because you believe lies of who you are about other people. And then he, what he does is he, he grapples you and puts those lies in your life and you live life in light of them being true. And so you stay grumpy. You stay judgmental. Think of all your sin patterns. And because you continually believe a lie and you're not experiencing God's grace and Satan has you. That's how he has many of us. It is not by demonic oppression. It is by him luring your flesh before your eyes and you liking yourself a little too much. Lies. So the takeaway, turn back to Acts 19, fam. I know it was a lot. Y'all look like I just, y'all all right? Okay, I hope you're encouraged because I want, I want you to leave here having a robust understanding of your understanding of demons, angels, and the spiritual realm, what's going on in the supernatural. And Jesus placing that, being the king of all that stuff. So what's going on here? And let's go back to the text. Let me say it and then I'll expose the text, okay? In these accounts, these are not people doing things in Christ's power and yet we're not Christians. I want you to get that, Okay. God is sovereign, but God is not allowing them. His point when he talks about all this demon possession and all that stuff and what Jesus is saying there is that these people, these itinerant Jewish exorcists were walking around obviously having a rep of doing exorcisms. Fair? But I want to propose to you a couple of reasons we know they weren't real exorcisms or if they were, there was demonic exorcism where, de- where demons was kind of helping them plead their own case. Is because first, when they finally came up to a demon, and you say, well, why, why didn't, why didn't, why didn't uh, Satan do it again in verse 13? Why didn't Satan allow the demon to come out so it can trick more people? Right? Because that's, that's, my, that's my thesis. I'm saying that either people were scamming them. Only three things could happen. Jesus is empowering you. It's a scam. Or you are being used by a demon. Okay. That's what, he's one of those three. And I want to propose two of them are out, right? I'm sorry, one of them are out. I don't think this is about Jesus, and here's why I know. I think Jesus, what he did here, I get so excited, I don't want to get past it first. Let me, just, let me pause about what he did, and let me just read, this, let me read this, the last one. Okay, so first, uh, Christ's power um, is not working in these people. And then secondly, I want to propose that these are unbelievers at best thinking they are serving Christ. So think, and using magic for evil gain or using magic for evil gain and in both instances being a tool of Satan to see supernatural acts happen or to participate in a scam. Okay. 
Now, I'm going to read the text. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook and invoked the name of Jesus. Uh, those, these evil spirits saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now, it says seven sons of, of, of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? I'm proposing to you, this is one of those times where Jesus said, actually, I'm not going to let you fool people. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to expose your power by not allowing your power to work. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow the real McCoy to work. So I want to propose to you, this is one of those times where Satan might have very well wanted to say, he might have went to the father and said, can I have permission to deceive more people? Uh, I hate you, but I want to deceive more people. Will you let me do that, please? And then the father said, not this time. No, um, my, for my plan, what I'm going to have happen is you're going to go ahead and try to, you know, do your little possession thing. You're going to bring your little fake exorcist people, and then I'm going to have my real Paul there. And then what's going to happen is, is you're going to try and get the real demon out, but we're not going to let you get him out because actually your power is not power. And so what I'm going to, what's going to happen, though, is that he, they're not going to get him out. The demon's going to get mad. He's going to beat up all the people, and then people are going to glorify me. Let's see. So it says, uh, I love this sentence, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize. Don't you love that? I love the demons like, yeah, totally get who Jesus is. And actually, we know about this dude, Paul, which, by the way, isn't that, I want that to be your prayer. Uh, my prayer is for demons to know you. That's scary, huh? You scared to pray that prayer? Lord, that, that God would allow me to have such an impact for God's glory. Not for your own, for God's glory. That you would share your faith. You would love people. You would preach the gospel unapologetically. It wasn't because Paul was some good dude. It was because he was so kingdom focused. Those demons said, who is that dude? Who is that dude? And then he went to some demon off in a, yonder somewhere and he knew who Paul was. They've been talking about Paul. So you don't think that, that Satan went up and was like, God, hey, I know, you know, you always give me some, you let me do some things here and there. Can I kill him? No, not yet. Next day, all right, can I kill him? No. You can do this though. And then we see some things happen to Paul. Can't kill him. I want, I want, I want our Macav to be so enamored and excited about Jesus and proclaiming the gospel that, yeah, you will spirit, and I see, and I see that a lot, spiritual Warfare. Everybody nervous. We don't want to pray that prayer. I'm scared too. But man, isn't that what we really want? Don't we want to give our lives out as a drink offering? Don't we want to go down swinging? Don't you want to really experience what it means to be an overcomer? Think about it. You, you know, I, I perceive right now that we already experience a lot of warfare. And it gets us weary. We experience it, don't we? break-ins and things happening to us that shouldn't be happening and, and you just can't get, you want to be about the gospel and there's something always getting in your life where you got another issue. You got sin patterns popping up. People you don't want to hurt, you hurt them. And you know what? We never even think, man, there's demons and there's Satan in, in, in my flesh and man, this is a spiritual battle and I'm praying in an appropriate way that you guys would open up your mind and your hearts to the spiritual realm. And realize this is a spiritual battle. 
And it says in the scriptures, look at it, it says here. Um, and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, had supernatural power because he's a he's demon possessed, mastered all of them, which means that he and overpowered them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Brother, stripped them down. You know what I'm saying? You don't know why he did that. You know, that's demons. They, they freaky, you know what I'm saying? You know. And then overpowered them, then beat them up, got wounds on them. Means to dominate, so you see supernatural power here. I think Jesus allows this to happen. So why? Because look at verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. You see that? You see the results? And so all of a sudden you see, man, people are going, that, that name of Jesus, that don't mess with that Jesus name. People are trying to mess with that name, and look what happened. And now people are coming to Christ. In verse 18, it says, also many of those, and I love this. So, so Jesus does that. The name of Christ is lifted up. People are going, oh my goodness. You got the demon still running around crazy. Whatever's going on with him. We don't know where he's at. He's out of the picture. Right here and beat these guys up. It exposes the fake people. And what it does, it shows a difference. It shows there's fake power and there's real power. And then it says, I love this. Verse 18, also many of those who were now believers. So that could be people who were believers or who became believers because of the scenario came confessing and divulging their practices. So you see what just happened guys. Don't miss that. You see what just happened. So all of a sudden, guess what, guess what the scriptures are teaching us. There is a lot of other people who weren't doing the very thing that the Jewish itinerary exorcists were doing, but they had all the magic potions at the crib. They had all the books. They were doing it on the low. They had just as much superstition. These Christians did as, as, the, as the Jewish itinerant exorcists, right? That's what the scriptures are showing you. That, it, that people was like, oh my goodness, Jesus is real. Man, I actually got the same book he had. I'm, 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 I'm diving into Sylvia Brown just like him, right? I'm looking at all this stuff. Just, and I'm playing, I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm doing, you know, figuring out what, what it says about Sagittarius just like everybody else. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm doing stars and signs and trying to figure out, you know, what my daily number is so I can play it and win a lotto too. You know what I'm saying? And so now all these guys, by God's grace, start realizing the, 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 the idols in their life and the superstition and the reality of like, man, I sit around and I wish my friends luck too like a dummy. Right? And so all of a sudden the scriptures say that these very, it says, you see what it says there in the scriptures, right? Believers came. These are believers confessing and devoting their practices. And what it says in verse 19. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in, sight of, in the sight of all. Revival. They had a revival. You had Christians and new Christians and people who became Christians. They all came together and said, you know what? I'm just coming clean. I struggle with this. I have the same magic arts. I have this potion. I have this thing. My mama gave me this. My grandmama told me this too. And they're giving their potions and their recipes and their magic books and all this stuff that was kind of saying, hey, I love Jesus, but also, and they said, we're casting it down because there's only one real power. That's what's happening in the text here. You have a revival where people are actually dealing with their sin, being honest about their journey and say, Lord, I want to give it all to you. You see that? And it says in the scriptures, and they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. 
So these people burned their stuff. And it was a lot of stuff. Huge bonfire. This was a lot of money, y'all. But they saw greater worth than Christ. So the word of the Lord in verse 20 continued to increase and prevail mightily. So what's the point? Here's the point. Satan's no match for God. A believer reads this passage in the first century, and you might be going through stuff right now. And you might be thinking, oh my goodness, it's hard. And what God wants to do in your life, he wants to remind you, that, no, 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 don't you understand? I've overcome the world. Satan is no match for me. He's another created being. You see what I did to his, his demons and his little crew just like that? You see what I'm about? What's the takeaway, guys? Thank you for giving me this time here. Let's look at the takeaway real quick. And what, actually, before I, before I do that, you know, I don't have time. I won't talk about, I wanted to talk about the superstition of us talking about in Jesus' name. I don't have time to talk about that right now. Maybe I can talk about that next week or something. But we use that a lot of time. That's like one of our potion go-getters. It's like we, can, we use in Jesus' name and we think it's kind of like a calling card or like, like, like witchcraft. You know, like a Ouija boy in Jesus' name. Like he's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, and it's weird. And I'm, I'm, I'm praying for us to think about our Christianity and to remove all the, all the magician and the warlock and the witchcraft and to focus on the person of Christ. So application, God always prevails. Satan does not. Satan is no match for God. And he wants us to probably really think about three things here. Basically, whose side are you on? I mean, at the end of the day, you read this. If you're an unbeliever or if you're playing religious games, you read this. You have to ask yourself, can you imagine? You're, you're sitting there. You, you, you know you're doing your own thing. You know you're worshiping yourself or you, or you kind of fooled yourself, but you know you're fooling yourself. You know God gives you that grace sometimes. And you kind of like, or maybe you're just deceived. But you're reading this and, and then you, you go, man, so God wins all the time. And Satan always loses. And people are either on Satan's side or God's side. We just read that in Matthew 12, where either for me or against me. You see what the scriptures are trying to graciously say to you very potently? Whose side are you on? And how stupid is it for you to stay on Satan's side? Right? That's the point of the scriptures. All throughout the text. It's like, how silly. I destroyed him. He's in hell. He's burning. I'm going to throw him. In. Like people think that Satan running things in hell is something. I'm telling you, we got all these, like Satan, like, ha ha, singing some Broadway song in hell. No, no. Satan is ooching and ouching in hell too. Hell is God's hell, not Satan's hell. You understand? And guess what he does in the scriptures in Revelation? He throws it all into the lake of fire. Right? And so it's all God running things, right? So God's going, what are you doing choosing that? Probably the second thing is, where have you fallen prey to superstition? Um, this is, <laughs> I'm going to get made fun of forever on this one because this is the longest talk I've ever done. Um, where have you fallen prey to superstition and rituals, guys? In his body. Where have you fallen prey to rituals and superstition? You know? Where are you not believing the gospel, but believing in something you did or what you can do or, you know, you find yourself doing? And can I ask this question? What part does confession, repentance, and holiness play in your daily life? Now, the reason why I ask that, because people think, well, what do you do then? If you, so how does a person, you know, how do you get a demon out of a person? See, you know my theology. You, you guys get mad. It's kind of simple. You know what? You know how, a person become, how, how you get a demon out of a person? They become Christians. 
That's what, that's what we want, right? I, what does it mean to exercise the body, get a demon out of them, and they're still walking around dead as a doorknob? It makes no sense. The way, and that's, and that's Jesus' point when he talks about the clean house, and then if it's clean, right, but there's no residence in it, as it were, what happens? Seven more evil demons come, right? So you can clean the house, but guess what? The, the beauty of the gospel is God doesn't just clean your house and he moves in. See, the Holy Spirit says, oh, cool, nice little crib here. And he moves in. And so, you want to talk, so, I, so when I talk about confession, repentance, and holiness, you, well, well, well how, does, how does tormenting happen for the Christian? Yeah, demons torment us. They lie to us. And, and some of us is more supernatural spiritual tormenting than others. I believe that, that some Christians experience supernatural tormenting because of God's way of wanting to do something in their life. Who knows what's going on, right? But at the end of the day, it's confession, repentance, and holiness. What part does that play in your life to, to be able to ward off the spiritual warfare that can easily overtake us? A lot of information, a lot of stuff. Uh, my prayer is that it leads you toward worship. And you will be even having more of a resolve today to say, Jesus, I'm on Jesus' side. I want to be about his business and I want to be filled with his power. Because anything else is just witchcraft and silliness and stupid. With that said, let's go into a time of um, communion and um, tithing offering.